tonight's assignment from the Lord is the Gethsemane anointed. And so we're gonna talk about how to get a Gethsemane anointing, which was the anointing of Christ. So let me show you how this anointing began. You go back to a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 61. This is where the, this is where the Gethsemane anointing began. So Isaiah chapter 61 begins in verse one. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Now understand this is the anointing for Christ. So when you see this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, the word Lord there is the word Yahweh. It's not the word Adonai. When you see the word Adonai, it's always referring to Jesus in the Old Testament Hebrew. When you see the word Yahweh, or what we call Jehovah or Yahweh, it's the yod heh vav -Hey in Hebrew. That's always referring to the Father. So the Father has anointed me. So this anointing is not from Christ. The Father, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because yod heh vav -Hey, Yahweh has anointed me. Now here's what the anointing looks like. When you get anointed, you get anointed to do something. You don't just get anointed to feel better. You don't get anointed to, to hope more. You get anointed to do something. So what does the anointing look like? This is what it looks like. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to, as I call these out, I'm gonna ask you to repeat these so you know what the anointing looks like. The first one is to preach. Everybody say to preach. So the first thing the anointing is to preach good tidings to the poor. And then the second thing he's anointed me to do is to heal. Everybody say to heal. So that is to heal the brokenhearted. The next thing he anoints you for is to proclaim. Everybody say proclaim. So proclaim liberty to the captives. That's a, a ministry of deliverance, setting captives free. So you proclaim to set captives free. And then to open up of prisons. So the next anointing is for opening. Say opening. So you get anointed to preach. You get anointed to heal. You get anointed to proclaim. Now you get anointed to open things. Open up minds. Open up doors, open up opportunities. So in this particular case, it's opening up the prison to those who are bound. When you preach, how many of you know that shackles fall off? When you testify, when you give your testimony, that's the greatest sermon you'll ever preach is, look what God has done for me. The greatest example you'll ever have is in your own life. How many of you can testify with me tonight that if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side, I don't know where I would be. Just keep your hand up if you know you could be in prison, you could be in the grave, you could be in hell tonight, but the Lord was your savior and the Lord rescued you. If you're happy about that, give him praise right now. Amen. And then the next thing he says, he uses the word proclaim a second time to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God. So that's pro, that, pro, that uh, proclamation is prophecy. The day of, of the Lord is, is, the day, is the battle of Armageddon and the, the year of our Lord, in the, or the vengeance of our God rather, is the, is the day of Armageddon and the, the day of the Lord or the year of our Lord that he's talking about is the year of Jubilee, but ultimately it's the millennial reign of Christ. So that next anointing is to prophesy, okay? And then finally to comfort. How many of you know there was an anointing to do that? 
We need more people with the anointing to comfort, right? There's a lot of people that want that anointing to call you out. But there's a lot of people that need to heal you when everybody's trying to call you out on something. Because anyway, we won't go there tonight. That's another sermon for another day on all of those who think they're anointed to call people out. All right, so some people are, but most people aren't. I'll just leave it there. A lot of the people calling you out need to be called out. So I'm just, you know, I'm, I love you. So I'm just going to tell you the truth. Let's just go there. All right, so then the next one is to console. All right, so this is verse 3 to console those who mourn. So that's counseling. So you have the anointing to console a soul, a heart. You have the anointing to heal brokenness. You have the anointing to preach. You have the anointing to prophesy. You have the anointing to open up doors. You have the anointing to set things free. This is what the anointing looks like. And then the next thing the anointing does is it gives something away. All right, some people call that impartation. But the anointing also gives something. Look in this verse what he says it's going to give. It's going to give beauty for ashes. That's the first thing he's going to give. So the, the thing you're giving is beauty for people that are in ashes. The next thing you give away is the garment of praise. Now how do I give the garment of praise away? By wearing the garment of praise. Has anybody learned this already? Praise is infectious. The, if you don't praise, you're not, you're not affecting anybody. But if you're a worshiper, I promise you, if you're a worshiper, and I'm kind of an out-of-the-box worshiper, I mean, I haven't let my degrees stop me from dancing. And I don't plan on letting titles, degrees, or anything ever stop me from coming before a king and dancing like David danced. This is what I do. That's who I am. I know a lot of people have taken the McHale Road and said, That's, I'm too dignified with that. Well, I'm not too dignified for that. I will get undignified in the presence of a king and worship him with everything inside of me. So you have to understand that when you are a worshiper, and that's what the alabaster anointing is about. We'll talk about that at the, at the end of this series. But when you worship, you cause other people to be set free by your freedom by your singing, by your, by the fact that you raise your hands. I promise you there's people that come to church that have never raised their hands in their entire life. And they see you doing that and they're thinking, I think I'm gonna try that. I'm give a little Presbyterian hallelujah to start with. I'll move on up to a Methodist amen and I'll end up with a Pentecostal quiver before it's over with. But you know, you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna set people free with your worship, all right? So understand that you give, everybody say you give, the garment of praise. That's, you're anointed to give that away. That's why worshipers on the stage, they're giving you a gift. They're anointed to give you the garment of praise. That they may call. Why is the anointing here? Now the anointing, the, the, the garment of praise is for the spirit of heaviness, right? So we know what that is for. But why is he doing that? So they may be called stable. How many of you know a lot of unstable people? How many of you know that God is not going to anoint unstable people? He just can't. It's too reckless. They will not protect it, and they will not use it wisely. God cannot, God cannot anoint recklessness. Now, but God is looking that you may be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, so that God can be glorified. God's looking for somebody to be stable. He's not looking for up and down, up and down, wishy-washy, I'm all in or I'm all out. He's not looking for, I'm going to backslide this year and preach next year and backslide this year and preach next year. Anybody ever met anybody like that? 
I mean, every time you hear them preach, they just got off a good drunk. You know, it's like, come on, man. Where is the stability and all that? You know what the word instability is in Hebrew? Philistine. That's what that word means. The word Philistine means instability. That's how you translate it in English. Instability, which is the enemy of God. So understand that God is anointing you so that you will not be so unstable. Because without the Lord, we might all be, right? God is anointing us so that we can be stable, we can be planted, and we can do something with our lives that can bring glory to the Lord. Now notice this, that in this passage, he's mentioned mourning three times. Did you notice that? He actually mentions the word mourning three times in this anointing passage because he wants you to understand that before you can get anointed, you have to mourn. Some people think you get anointed when you get the microphone. Some people think you get anointed when you get a, a real good, happy feeling in you and somebody falls out in the spirit. Now, you might have just been lucky. They might have fallen out no matter who touched them. All right, let me just be honest with you. It might not be that you're, that you're the all-powerful being that you think you are. No, because anointing has responsibility. Anointing has accountability. Anointing is something that cannot be treated cheaply. An anointing is costly. And unless it costs you something to become anointed, I promise you, you will either sell it or you will abuse it. So you have to have, anointing has to cost you something in order for you, you won't find, I, you won't show me one anointed person that has not been to hell and back over and over and over. The more anointed you are, the devil has you on his radar. He is going to bring every attack. We wonder why anointed people get attacked so often. It's because hell hates them. He's coming against them, but that does not stop the anointing. That does not stop the prophecy. It does not stop the praying. It does not stop the preaching. The army of God will get back up again. We will catch our breath and we will run all the way to the finish line because we're not weak in the body of Christ. So understand this, that there is a reason why you have to go through the gauntlet to become anointed. It's so that you won't throw it away so easily. I've heard so many people say, Things like, I didn't sign up for this. Well, what did you sign up for? Your, your Savior was nailed to a cross and killed, and he said, take up your cross and follow me, and you didn't sign up for that? Then what are you doing in the ministry if you didn't sign up for that? Because that's what ministry looks like. Ministry is not so you can get paid and have a bigger following on social media. That's not what ministry looks like. That's what celebrity looks like, but that's not what ministry looks like. Ministry looks like taking up your cross and following Jesus. And that means whatever it takes, if you get the big crowd, that's a bonus, but you gotta be willing to preach to 12 before you're ever gonna preach to 1,200. And if you're not willing to preach to the 12, you'll never reach the 1,200. If you can't sing at the nursing home, you don't need to be singing on the stage. And if you can't pray for one person on a greenway, what are you doing praying for somebody in the altar? If you cannot sing to an old dying grandmother on her deathbed, then why do you need a microphone? You haven't been anointed. The anointing is about ministry, and ministry is about doing the work of the Lord. 
It's not, it's not about you know, getting a bigger following. So God's gonna ask you to do the hard things before you ever get to do the fun things. So this is worth tweeting or writing it down. I, you, anybody that works for me hears me say this all the time. I actually said it yesterday to somebody. You have to do what you hate to do to get to do what you love to do. And everybody that works knows that. There's a part of your job you hate, but if you don't do that part of your job, you don't get to do what you love to do because it's a part of your job you live. That also sounds like family, doesn't it? Yeah, that sounds like marriage. That sounds like raising kids. You have to do what you hate to do to get to do what you love to do. That's what, that sounds like friendship. So it also sounds like ministry. So understand this. You're gonna be tested in a season of mourning because the mourning will produce the new, um, the, the new oil in you. And I'm gonna show you that in a minute in Gethsemane. So understand this. What does that look like? Some people think that, you know, you're gonna, get, you're gonna get in ministry and everything is just gonna flourish and just go through the roof and it's gonna be easy and it's just gonna make life so much happier. And then something happens and they're thinking, wait a minute, God must not love me. I must not be anointed. No, what you don't understand is you're being anointed. He uses, what does Psalm 23 say? He anoints my head with oil in the presence of what? My enemy. Oh, you're, being, you're in the process of getting anointed in that very moment if you don't quit. And so mourning is not about death. Sometimes mourning is associated with death. Mourning is about loss. So if you lose a job, you mourn that. If you lose a cat, you, you mourn that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mourn a cat, but you can mourn a cat if you want to. I'd mourn a dog quicker than I'd mourn a cat, all right? So, and I'm not gonna mourn a dog. So there you go. You know where I would mourn a horse. That's what I would mourn. All right, so that's now you found my pet. All right, so, so understand this. Uh, whatever you lose, you can lose a job and you go into mourning. You can lose a home and go into mourning. So it's anything you lose. So being anointed means that you will go into a season where it feels like things are not working out the way you thought that it was working out because God is testing you in the season of mourning so that you can become the planting of the Lord. Thank you so much for supporting our ministry. If this has blessed you, please say a prayer for us. And if you would like to give, we have four ways that you can do that. You can give online at briancutshaw.com, or if you're a PayPal user, just PayPal us at Church Trainer. Or you can also give through the mail at P.O. Box 267, Georgetown, Tennessee, 37336. Or if you're a Venmo user, you can Venmo us also at Church Trainer. Thank you, and God bless you, and may the Lord multiply your seed. Now back to Hope in the Word. So I want to, I want to describe one more thing and then I'm going to get right into Gethsemane with you. Um, he says in Isaiah 61, he said that he's, he's, there's this dichotomy that we see. We see joy and we see ashes, all right? So you have this joy and you have these ashes and all of that is part of the anointing, this, this stretching me into areas that I'm miserable in, into things that I can't believe I'm getting to do where God is stretching me into, a, I can't believe he opened that door to, a, I can't believe that door just shut, you know? So you, you have this constant pull to make sure that you're working for a king and not for yourself. You have this constant pull that is a reminder of who's really in charge of your anointing, and it's not you. You are conduit at your best day. You are conduit for the Holy Spirit to flow through. And so sometimes we, we make the mistake of thinking we're the oil, and we're not the oil. Oil. We are the reservoir that holds the oil. We are sometimes the oil is held in a in a broken vessel, a cracked pot. There's a few cracked pots out there that God is still using, and I thank God because on some days you might have thought that was me, right? So God is still using some cracked up 
pots and such. God is still using some broken people and some shard, and God is still using some, some broken vessels that need to be put back together again. God, that, that, because you're not whole does not mean you can't be anointed. You don't have to be perfect to be anointed. You have to be available to be anointed. You don't have to be perfect to be anointed. So understand that. So, so, so keep this in mind. This is what the ashes look like. Uh, he says he's given you beauty for ashes. So in the Old Testament, they would actually wear this turban. I tried to find a picture. I couldn't find anything like that. This turban on their head, and they would put ashes. So I think I have a picture of a guy up here. There you go, that, that has ashes. He's wearing sackcloth and ashes. And here's what you need to understand about the purpose of that. You did not wear sackcloth and ashes so people would feel sorry for you. You did not wear sackcloth and ashes so everyone would know you were mourning and give you money. You wore sackcloth and ashes as a testimony. All right. So here's what you would do. You would take your lamb and go to the go to the temple or go to the tabernacle and the high priest would would slay the lamb and then he would give you the ashes. So everybody say he went to the church first. He goes to the church first and he gets the ashes and he wears those ashes. When trouble comes, he wears the ashes of the lamb that he has already sacrificed on top of his head. And this is what he's saying to you. When he wears the sackcloth and ashes, he's saying, don't you feel sorry for me. I've already been to the altar. Don't you worry about me. This is gonna work out. I know what it looks like right now. I know it looks like I'm in bad shape. I know it looks like I'm not gonna come through. But this right here is proof that God got there first, that God is working in me, that God is doing a work in my life. So don't you feel sorry for me. You praise God when you see me me in my trouble. Don't judge me in my trouble, but you praise God in my trouble because he's going to bring me out. He's going to see me through. And as long as God is on my side, if God is for you, who can be against you? This is my testimony that I'm coming out of this. These ashes are my proof. I've already been anointed. I've already been, the, uh, the sacrifice has already been made. I've already given my gift in the temple. And this is my proof that I'm coming coming out. Somebody needs to claim that right now. I'm coming out. I've already tithed. I'm coming out. I've already given. I'm coming out. I've already worshiped. I'm coming out. I've already been prayed for. I'm coming out. I know it doesn't look like much right now, but you keep your eye on my feet because I'm not stopping yet. I'm going to keep on walking all the way into victory. So just because it looks bad does not mean I'm not an why do I keep walking? Because he's going to turn my ashes. He's going to give me beauty for ashes. He's going to give me oil for joy. So if I keep walking through the ashes, I will get my oil. And when I get my oil, I will get my joy. I'm not going to stay in the ash pit. I'm not going to stay in the valley. I'm going to keep walking until the road turns to joy. I will keep walking until my feet start dancing. I will keep praising until I have a hallelujah in my heart. It may not look like anything now, but I'm not giving up. God is on my side. I have been called and anointed and appointed. That's what the anointing looks like. So the ashes are the testimony. All right. You have to learn how to dance in the desert. You want to be in ministry? Learn how to dance all by yourself. Sometimes you're going to have to. 
Learn how to get out your oil and anoint your own head. You're not always going to have a praise team to pick you up. You're not always going to have a catcher. You got to fall out on your bed just all by yourself. You don't always have a. You got to. If you want to get in ministry, learn how to wash your own feet. Learn how to anoint your own head. Learn how to have a Holy Ghost party with you and just the, just you and the Holy Ghost. No one else is there. You're not always going to have a preacher to pep you up. You're not always going to have a prayer team to pick you up. You're not always going to have a praise team to sing you to higher ground. Sometimes if you're going to get anointed, you're going to learn how to sing in the rain. If you're going to get anointed, you're going to learn how to sing cave songs. If you're going to get anointed, you got to learn how to how to understand the midnight song and get through midnight. If you're going to get anointed, learn how to dance in the desert when there is nothing in your path, when nothing looks like it's working out, but I'm dancing anyway. This is not the plan that I had, but not my will, but thine be done. This is only temporary. It's going to turn to joy if I just don't give up. It's going to turn to joy. Somebody needs to claim that tonight. Well, hallelujah. Well, I want to talk uh, quickly about the Gethsemane anointing. So I want you to go to Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. So Jesus came, the Bible says there in Matthew 26, verse 36, then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here and I will go and pray over there. Now, because of our translation, in the Bible, this has been called the Garden of Gethsemane. So we think, and we even have songs about, I come to the garden alone, and things like that, that talk about going to the Garden of Gethsemane. This is what you need to understand. There was no garden there. The Gethsemane, the Gethsemane is not a garden, it's a machine. It is not a garden at all. The, the only thing that looked like a garden was the Mount of Olives that was an olive grove. And at the bottom of the Mount of Olives is a Gethsemane. There at the bottom of the Mount of Olives where the oil was processed. And so Jesus could have gone to a garden as Jesus could have gone to the temple. Jesus could have gone to a high mountain to proclaim this. Because remember this, this Isaiah 61 verse is what he said when he read it in the synagogue. And he said, this day this is being fulfilled. He's letting them know that he is the one that's been anointed by the Holy Spirit. And his, they actually tried to throw him off a cliff because he was proclaiming to be the Christ. And so Jesus, as his last sermon, well, before the cross and the resurrection, of course, his last Last sermon, his illustration, he chooses to go here out of all the places he could have gone. He's just left the Seder. He's just left what we call the Holy Supper. He's just left there. And of all the places he could have gone, he goes to the Mount of Olives to this machine. And so when we read in our Bibles, it says he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, but in fact, he actually went to a Gethsemane. So why did he go to a Gethsemane? Well, let me tell you one Interesting fact for all of you who go to Israel, and I'm going to go later on this year, and so I, I, love, I love Israel. But um, in Israel, the olive trees that grow around the world can grow to, to live to uh, 1,100 years. So 1,100 years is about the max for an olive tree. 
But what is one of the testimonies that keeps on testifying about the work of Christ is there on the Mount of Olives at the bottom right there by the, by the, the church where there's a, a rock inside. We go in and pray, which they believe to be where Jesus went and prayed there in the Garden of Gethsemane. The olive trees around that are, are two to 3,000 years old. So an olive tree only lives to be 1,100 years old, but these are different from all the other olive trees in the world where Jesus prayed as a testimony. They, they can trace, all, they have one olive tree there. It's a great big knobbly looking thing that's right near the door that, um, that they know is 3,000 years old. It's testifying, this is where you get the oil. This is the process that you go through to get anointed to set the captives free and, be, and, and heal the sick and preach the good news. So Jesus, out of all the places he went to, he chose to go to a Gethsemane. And when you go to a Gethsemane, the word for Gethsemane is actually uh, two words, two Hebrew words. The first word is a word that you may, you may understand uh, from the Old Testament because it's the word gat, which comes from the word gath, all right? So does, anybody, does that ring a bell for anybody, the word gath? So can anybody tell me what city Goliath was from? Gath, right? So Gath was the final stronghold for the Anakin. So the final stronghold of the giant race was there in Gath. And so this word, the word Gath means, the reason they called it Gath is because it was a Philistine stronghold where these giants lived and they oppressed people. So the word Gath means to press or to pressure you. So when you put these two Hebrew, Hebrew words together, the gath and the simony means oil, so it's to press oil. So the word means, gethsemane means oil press. All right, so it's pretty easy to understand. Now what's interesting that Jesus goes here to conquer the enemy because this is where he says, not my will, but thine be done. I just felt the Holy Spirit anoint me to say something. I, I need to prophesy over somebody's life right now. And he'll listen to me because I don't know who I'm talking to, but I'm, t I'm telling you this is what the Holy Spirit just told me to tell you. That you're, you're crucifying your own flesh, you're crucifying your own self because of some of the thoughts that are entering your mind, some of the images that are entering your mind. And the, the, the Lord told me to tell you, first of all, that's the enemy putting those images in your mind. It's not you, it's the enemy. That's your temptation. It's the enemy coming against you. And he's putting those things in your mind. But uh, that when you crucify your flesh to the Lord, you have to pray the same prayer Jesus prayed, not my will, but thine be done. Because what you're trying to conquer in your flesh can only be conquered through the will of Christ. It cannot be conquered through your own will. Your will is weak. And that's, that's something that drives us all crazy. It's like, man, I need to stop doing this, but I just can't seem to stop doing this. And it's like your will is weak, but you have to say the same thing that Jesus said, not my will, but thine be done. Lord, give me the will of the Father. Give me the will of the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus prays in the Lord's Prayer when he talks about, uh, when he prays the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation. He knows you're gonna have temptation. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. So understand that this is where he prays this prayer. So Jesus chooses to go 
to a machine that was named after the enemy of Israel as the one that presses down to reverse the curse. He said, when this anointing comes, I'm going to produce something through the pressure of the enemy. I'm going to use an enemy to anoint you. I'm going to use an enemy. I'm going to use trouble to set you free. I'm going to use a valley to cause you to be crowned. I'm going to use a war to cause you to become a champion. I'm going to take the adversity in your life and what the enemy meant for harm, I'm going to turn it around for good and you're going to get set free. You're going to you're going to set the captives free because you know the way out. I'm telling you there's people here tonight that's been delivered from depression and you are the one that needs to pray for people who have depression because you have been set free. You earned your stripes in that depression. There are people here that have been set free from poverty. You know the anguish. You know the humiliation. You know the shame. You know the desperation. You know the fear that is associated with poverty. And when God sets you free, you need to start praying for other people in poverty because you have the oil. You know how to pray for those things that you've been through. If your marriage almost broke up and God saved you, that's the couple that needs to start praying for people that are having marital problems because you have the oil. Your adversity has graduated you. Your adversity has set you free. So Jesus chooses the place where the enemy's name is at, the enemy of Israel, as the place to reverse the curse and set you free. Hallelujah. This program is brought to you by the partners of Brian Cutshaw and Church Trainer Ministries. Please help us pray that the Lord will continue to send us more partners so we can expand his kingdom around the world.